Craig Parkinson, and this is the Two Shot Podcast. Pop the kettle on and let's dive in. Well, it's not Thursday, but it is a new episode of the Two Shot Podcast, so it's very nice to be back. As you uh, may be able to hear, which is why I'm going to keep this intro nice and short, I'm full of a stinking cold, so I'm not going to upset your ears too much um, with a big, long, rambly intro. That that wouldn't be nice, would it? Um, Just to check in and make sure everybody's good. Okay, nice. That's good. You were very quick on the draw. Um, This week, we are joined by actor and author Rosie Day, and it's a great chat. She's a fantastic company. Uh, We talk uh, quite a lot about kind of growing up in the spotlight and being a child actor, and why now, as uh, a young woman, she's sometimes still seen as a child and she takes matters into her own hands with uh, a one woman show that spiraled and she you know she became an author she sat down and wrote a book oh my voice right um i'm gonna go uh there won't be uh an outro this week uh because i've got to work and i'm really paranoid of losing my voice so um take good care i believe we will be back next week. I know I already recorded it. Um, we will be back with a new episode next week. So until then, take care. Enjoy. This is the Two Shot Podcast with Rosie Day. I'll see you next week. I know we're quite echoey in this room, so I apologise to all the listeners because we've just had to do a microphone replacement, which is a little bit boring, wasn't it, Rosie? A tiny bit. But you're OK, you've got your tea now, you're all right. I've got my tea and I'm very happy. Yes. This is very good news. It's a good way to start yeah. being very happy. I am lucky enough to know friends who have taken the time and with grit and determination... I hunkered down and wrote a book. And I'm in awe, actually, because it's something that I don't have the discipline <laughs> or, 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 or imagination to do. But you did that. Where, uh, uh, and without being patronising, so young <laughs> to, 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 to go, right, this is what I'm going to do. How on earth did that come about? It was a joke, like everything in my life. Uh, it was an accident mm. because I had been dared as an actor to write somebody a one-person play and as you a did. joke, and, and you, I did. And you did. And we performed like a little developmental run of it just before the lockdown happened, just before COVID. And um, we performed it and somebody in the audience happened to have seen it Mm. and said, have you thought about turning this into a book? And then lockdown happened and I had all this time to write a book. And then the book came out before we even did the proper run of the play and it all became this sort of weird thing. So, so it was what, just a, a, a punter? 
No, so the fa- no, no, no. So the person in the audience uh, knew my now book agent mm. and introduced me to them. Right. And said, this would be such a good idea for teenage girls as a book. Have you thought about developing it into that? And I was like, no, my English teacher at school would have laughed her head off at the idea of me doing a book. Um, and then we found ourselves all this time during lockdown. And so we just did it. For, for those that don't know... Um, even for those that do, tell me about the initial idea of the play that turned into the book. So tell me what it's about. So Instructions for a Teenage Armageddon was born because... It's a great title, by the way. Thank I love you. the title. I do love Thank the title. Thank you. Um, the best thing about it is why I named everything that title. Um, was born out of the fact that I think... For th- I love theatre. I love doing theatre. And I don't think there are very many great teenage girl roles in theatre. You're often the daughter or kind of a side character. It's not often like Mm -hmm. you're the lead. And I was doing a play at Chicago Studios and a director went, well, go away and write me a one-girl play. There were all these amazing one-woman plays that were happening. Go write me one about a 13-year-old. So that's what I did. And and, and I wrote this play that essentially was about a young girl whose sister had died due to an eating disorder. And she joins a wayward group of scouts. And it's how she sort of overcomes that and her adolescence and all the things that happened to her. And I just wanted it to be as realistic as possible in terms of what a teenage girl's actual experience is. Because so often, and I say this with kindness, but so often when you have, you know, older male writers, they give it a good go writing teenage girls. Of but, course. you know, the, the, sometimes it's, it's, it's nowhere near what the actual experience is. Well, you can hear it, can't yeah. you? It's like sometimes I remember doing a show many years ago that I won't name and it was set in the north of England and it certainly wasn't written by anybody that maybe hadn't even visited visited the north of England but saying that on the flip side you have an incredible writer like Martin McDonough who wrote the play Hangman that I appeared in in london years ago and it's all set in a pub in oldham yeah he's never been to oldham and you'd but, never know no but you'd never know because he captured yeah. it so perfectly yeah. so maybe uh, with what i'm saying it's just about the quality of the writer <laughs> <laughs> i think that's often the case 100 yeah. yeah so how did you even begin to adapt a stage play into a book was it more was it narrative driven or was it like a guide because like the title suggests yeah so it ended up being a non-fiction book so it's a guide for teenage girls to survive their teenage years essentially um were you drawing on experience yeah a hundred percent so we sort of covered it i knew nothing as a teenage girl but i've played them for the past decade, and I'm trying very hard not to do it, even though I've played two 17-year-olds this year. Yeah, but um, the thing is, Rosie, I mean, do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm 27. But yeah. we need to be completely realistic and not blow smoke here, but you do look 17. <laughs> I know, but there are certain casting directors now that I think when I get suggested for roles, they're like, do not send me Rosie Day. We know she's not actually a child uh, yeah, anymore. Yeah, you um, can't You can't pull the wool over our eyes this time. This season, I, I've, do, I've done all, I've like, done them all now, yeah. yeah. Um, well, there's some casting directors that have known me since I was like four. <laughs> like she, that was in 1990, whenever, 99. So it's like, they're like, this, this timeline doesn't add up for how she's still 17. Um, we'll get back to that. 
And I want to, obviously, you know this podcast and we we jump around all the time. But I just want to just get some closure on the book. So sitting down to write the book, was that with an offer or were you, I mean, had you already organised literary representation at this point? So I got literary representation through doing the play and then the book we did uh, a pitch deck because it was non-fiction, so it's slightly different, I think, to fiction. Just explain to me what that is. So a pitch deck was like we put together, I think it was like a 20-page document of what Mm. we saw the book being um, and sample writing and ideas and what we wanted it to look like. um, And then... And you say that was 20 pages? I think it was about 20 pages. Is that the norm? Because sometimes with a pitch or television show, it could just be... One page. It could be a a 1A4, couldn't it? I think with books it's probably longer, though I don't don't know that for certain. Um, And then my amazing lit agent took it out. And to be honest, because I had, like everything in my life, I had no expectation of this ever happening. And it was so rogue Mm. that I kind of forgot about it until Mm. one day I got the email with the different offers, which was lovely and from the different publishing houses. And... um, and yeah, and then we then I accepted one of them, which worked with the most amazing team at Hachette, who were just like their children's department. Like everyone should just go and be around them because they're like the nicest. Is the nice children's publishing is just like the most wholesome, beautiful thing. Um, and then we just started working on it, and yeah, I think it took us a year from from signing to the hardback release, and the paperback is out next year. And did you feel obviously? Silly question, but. This was quite new terrain for yeah. you. So did you feel, like, supported? And I'm just trying to think, because it's quite solitary. It's quite... And we were in COVID, so it was and also, solitary. I mean, it was even worse, you know. Yeah. I don't want to go back and think about those Literally, times just, personally. Yeah. But... Me and my cats. Um, it, it was, yeah, I definitely, I definitely did. It was a lot of work, I'm not going to lie. It was a lot of work and at times stressful, but it was so... It was something that was so different to acting. I think I really needed it. Yeah. And I found this love and this joy and from doing it. And consequently, we're doing other books now because of that one. And it's something that I feel really lucky to have discovered, I think, to have... And to, I think as a young woman, to have, be able to put your voice out there and it be your words. You know, I've spent my whole life saying other people's words, mm. which I love. Yeah. But when you get to do it your own, yourself, it's um, it, it's really cool and... But there is a weird thing where I look at the book even now. I've got... Because you get sent like 30 copies as, you, as an author, which is lovely. But they're all on my shelf at home and I look at them and I don't... There is still some dissociation. I don't go, that's my book at all. I'm like, I don't really recognise it. Yeah, but you must be proud of what you've achieved. I am... As an, now, a, as an author. Yeah. Because that's think, what you are. Yeah, I think I am now. I wasn't. I didn't think I realised what was... Even when I see look back at photos of when we had like the book launch, and I, I just think I look a bit like a startled deer. Like I'm, I don't think I really kind of got it. Um, and I think now, now I do. And when I get the best thing is when I get messages from teenage girls on Instagram when they're like, "I read your book and it really helped." And like that's, I said the only thing for me was like, if it helped one girl that book, then mm. that's done its job. Was that the goal? Yes. Yeah. yeah very much so. Because so if I, it helps one, one girl, yeah. that's all I wanted was because I found being a teenage girl so. Hard, like hard and I didn't and lost and there was nobody to like guide me so I was like okay well this book's going to be everything that I think a teenage girl needs to know essentially what did you find hard as a teenager I found like 
Uh, so, so, so it's a yeah. broad question, because I know when I was a teenager, I found oh, fucking ever, like, <laughs> so many things oh. hard, like, as a boy yeah. in the north of England. Yeah. I, th- I think it's it everything from friendships to family to mental health. That was a big thing for me. Even at, at such a young age, like, because I, yeah. I, you know, it's only in the past... I don't know, five or six years that mental health has been so prominent and something that we talk about, certainly as men. But it wasn't spoken at my school. No, so my sister, I got with a sister who had an eating disorder and it was kind of really difficult at home because of that and no one ever spoke about it. So for this book, for me, it was very much about talking about things that weren't spoken about when I was a teenage girl. Mm. And it covers everything from, like, friendships to racism to style to periods to like like anything you can think of we tried to put it in the book um and just made it sort of you know and we have some amazing contributors who have written brilliant things about their experiences as well and I just think that's so it, it was just something that I thought might help people really yeah. was it cathar- a cathartic process for you writing yeah. I think the play was so cathartic doing the actual play of the before we did what well, we did we did the production in february and march this year of the play when you say we i take it you were the Can't one that me. was you, you were performing on stage <laughs> it was me yeah 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 so you're it so a it's a one play. a one woman show yeah and you're drawing from personal experiences yeah it was um, right do you know what i thought i was totally fine until it finished so we did like it was on for a month at Slavic Playhouse, and when it finished, I crashed because I was like, "Oh my good!" I think I suddenly realised what I had sort of had been doing on stage every night, or ignoring on stage every night, and just sort of putting it into um, art form. But we were very lucky; we got four off West End stage nominations, and we got seven five star reviews. So that was my that was like that was the moment that I was like that was the moment I was proud of myself. How did you feel when it finished? Apart from you know feeling the strings had been cut yeah were you I mean this is quite dramatic were you bereft did you want to carry on with it or do you think it's something that you've got out of your system if you need to get it out of your system I just sold the telly right so oh have you yeah so they're currently um, yeah we're currently well I'm not they're currently developing it for telly but um, I I think though I'm not a doctor I think I shot my adrenal glands because it was You're not like, a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Why didn't you tell me this? Um, but I literally, like, when I say I crashed, it was like... I mean, my life had been a bit crazy and I was just kind of getting through, like, everything and uh-huh. doing the play. But it was like being shot out of a rocket every night. And I would, before I went on stage, I would literally say to my stage manager and producer, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it tonight. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Not getting me on stage. And then it would happen and it just would go. Like, the play, once you start, it's just you for... I think it was 85 minutes and and then you, and then you come off and it's great and then yeah it, it's 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 i mean there's crazy. bound to be a crash yeah you know i mean i was up in edinburgh a few weeks ago for the final weekend of the fringe and myself and my girlfriend just went right let's try and have a day and just see as much as we can yeah. and we did and we were absolutely burnt out by yeah. seeing like four shows in one day <laughs> up until like half past midnight oh. and we're just like fuck we're just absolutely rinsed so much emotion um so to do you know and they're doing like an, more or less they're doing an hour aren't yeah. they and that's full on yeah 
So for you to do sort of 85 minutes yeah. on your own, no support. It's the terror, it's the scary thing. I'm working with um, the wonderful actor Sam Hoare at the moment. He was mm-hmm. telling me that he's about to start rehearsing a one-man play at, what's that theatre at Finsbury Park? The Park. And uh, it's something that he wrote, not necessarily for himself, I don't believe he said, but his wife is directing him. Oh my <laughs> I know. And I was going, oh, oh my God. God. I, was, I was breaking out in oh hives the moment he was talking about it. But fucking hell, that is terrifying. That is. But he's, um, and it's only for, I think it's only for a month yeah. that he's doing it. I don't know how you'd, if I'm honest, I don't know how people would sustain it, people who do one person plays for longer, because it is. It is, it, is, it is just exhausting. And also, it, when we do theatre as actors, it's like, well, we rely... On other people. On the support and the conversation. It's all about listening yeah. <laughs> reacting. There's nobody else there to talk to. I mean, it's... Um, the dressing room, like... Like being in it, like I just finished a play at Hampstead, and when I and having a dressing room full of women, yeah. I can't even tell you how amazing it was yeah. to walk in every day and be like, "Hi, everyone!" Having been on my own in a dressing room, yeah, having to psych yourself up to get on stage. But it's very interesting because there's parallels there of you know being on stage on your own and then taking yourself off and writing the book yeah. on your own. Yeah, I'm a recluse with five cats. <laughs> That's, that's the story here. Yeah, I worry about the five cats thing. But you seem okay. Was Were, were there times either on stage or writing the book that you just felt this is possibly too much? There was a moment in the play, weirdly because what, what happened is we'd done the developmental run and obviously things get changed. But that was pre-COVID, literally just before we locked down. Yeah. And... Um, life was very different then for all, for all of us. And I'd started going to therapy in September, just last September. And so by the time I came to rehearse Teenage Armageddon in January, February, I'd sort of done a couple of months of therapy and suddenly all these things that I had written about and was fine doing in the developmental room because I was so oblivious to them and thought it wasn't based on my life, suddenly you're having to perform them and you're realising that, oh gosh, no, this is just parts of my life that I've subconsciously written into a play and so there were moments where it was really really there's a very difficult scene in it and I I found it incredibly hard to kind of rehearse and do because I suddenly realized what I'd put in the play I guess and the, but there was a breakthrough point at some point I'm sure in the play yeah well in uh, yeah, yeah. not necessarily in the play but I suppose, I suppose personally for you oh, yeah. that you felt yeah I can do oh, we, we've I've broken through yeah, yeah. there a little bit. Something, something that obviously, well, possibly terrified you a bit yeah. that you felt that you couldn't. Yeah. Wait, so it's something you, it's, it's, I'm, it's interesting. I think apparently lots of actors are like, actors are like this. I am rubbish at feeling my own emotions. I hate it. The moment I start to feel anything that's not good or, you know, the net, what I see is a negative emotion, I push it right down mm. and just disconnect from it. So having to, to do it in a play and feel it and it be sort of you was very, I think, um, well, was very therapeutic, but was was a new thing. Do you do that a lot? Mm. Push things down? Yeah, I do. I, I hate feeling things, yeah. 
what, where does that come from? Um, probably from thinking that my feelings are uh, a burden. My needs are a burden. To other people? To other people. So I just don't. So I just pretend like everything's fine. And that comes from, I think it comes from uh, what I call like the good girl complex. And that's from being a child actor. Explain to me about the good girl complex. So like when you grow up being a child actor, you are constantly having to be good. Essentially, you have to turn up, you have to be perfectly behaved, you have to hit your mark and you have to be the reason they don't go again. Or you don't get to work, you don't okay. get the parts, you right. don't get to, you know, um, and that feeds into this narrative of kind of young girls having to be people pleasers, essentially, because you want the job. And if you like being an actor, whether or not I did it, that age is irrelevant, but you like the attention. Mm. And, and so you develop this thing where everything is fine. Everything's great. You're doing your job. You're smiling. You're so sweet to everyone because it gets you more work, essentially. Right. And I've only just got rid of that. Probably about two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, maybe two months ago. So, well, with that in mind, mm. and we'll come back to suppressing emotions yeah. later on, because I'm sure I'll have something <laughs> to say about that. I don't forget, Rosie. Don't forget. No, 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 I don't forget. Um, how did you get into it as, as, as one so young? So... Were, were you aware... Of a child, as a child, that you could act? Or was this something you were encouraged to do? Yes, so my sister was one of those... How how old's your sister? My sister's three years older than me. Right. And she came out of the womb... She's 12. She's 12, (laughs) (laughs) She came out of the womb singing, dancing, acting. Uh, Okay. She was one of those kids that just had a really natural talent for performing. And she got, she went to like a Saturday stage school and there was an agency and she got a part on a BBC series and they needed a little sister for her. Okay. And she was doing some auditions with some other girls to Hello. play her little sister. Yeah. And cut to, there was an actual little sister sat on the sofa and the casting director, this is, I can't remember this, the story goes, the casting director bent down and went, hello Rosie, do you want to do some acting for us? And I went, no, acting stupid, why would I want to do that? At four. I mean, a hundred percent. You're right. I was right at four. So Nobody knowledge- listened. <laughs> so knowledgeable at four. Why did no one listen to that four-year-old that was like, no? And we still say it now, yeah. and no one listens, no. and we carry on. And we carry on. And then we kept being cast together. So we did a play when I was four at the National. Um, what was that? Summer Folk. By Trevor Nunn. I saw some of the Oh, folk. God, don't I? I, can't. I saw that play. I can't remember. The only thing I remember, and this came back to me, when I was just at the Hampstead, standing backstage, and I was waiting for my cue light to go green. Yeah. And I suddenly had this memory come back of me being four, stood by the side of the stage, waiting for the light to go on, and going, I'm playing a character called Anya. Like, <laughs> knowing that. At four. <laughs> and then uh, I would do the play, I would be put in my pyjamas... And we didn't live in London. It was like a two-hour journey. I'd then be put in a car and driven home and went to school the next day. Where were you living? We lived down in, at that point, not in London. Like, south. What, yeah. Brighton? South? Like, like, I was about to say Oxford, but that's not south, is it? <laughs> no. My geography is not my strong point. Okay. South so, of London. Yeah, like a long car ride. Just okay, okay. Um, yeah, we lived in, like, the Oxford area. Yeah, so not near London. Um... And then, yeah, that's what 
and, and, and I never really thought anything of it until now my friends have four-year-olds and you see them and you're like, oh gosh, you are so tiny. Yeah. You're such a little human being. Baby, you're a, like you're just out of being a toddler. Four. You're a little bambino. Literally. And how are your parents with this? So my parents aren't in the industry, never were. No. My dad really, he, he was very supportive, but didn't have anything to do with it. He worked full-time in London. What did he do? He, well, he still works for Lloyd's, not the bank, the insurers. I get it wrong. Okay. I don't really understand what he does even now. Okay. Um, and my mum, so my mum was the one that I guess arranged it all. Um, but, you know, I, it was very much a sort of me... Like I, I just, I just kept doing it, and they facilitated it. I guess. Did you want to keep on doing it? It's interesting being in therapy, isn't it? Like you learn. I mean, um, some people do say this is like a therapy session. Yeah. So yeah, it can't. I suppose I know what you mean. I, when I got older as a teenager, I suddenly realised what acting was, and I really liked it. Mm. When I was a little girl, I liked that I hated school. So I love the fact that I got to not be at school. Right. And I was surrounded by adults. And let's face it, most actors are lovely. And I got, you know, was so spoiled. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> no, they are, they are. Like, I was so spoiled on yeah. set. And I was so, you know, all the photos of me as a child actor, like, my feet aren't touching the floor. Like, I'm picked up, I'm cuddled. I mean, I'm cuddled. Like, I was so sort of well looked after as mm. a little person. And, um... And then I think when, as I got older, I, I learned that I liked it. But it was, it's an, I think it's an attention thing when you're little. You, you like having the attention. And I wasn't one of those kids that was an actor kid. I was hired because I was cute and I could say lines quite naturalistically. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Is yeah. your sister still acting? No, she stopped when she was 11 and she went to boarding school. Where did she go? Badminton in Bristol. In Bristol. It's one of the very, the very nice boarding school. And um, what, what, what does she do now? She works for a, uh, a, what is it? Oh, God. Oh, it's a company that invests in tech. Right, so she came out of the womb singing and dancing and this was going to be I say, I'm living her life. This should have been her. Right. Does she miss it? Does she, what, is it something that she would have wanted to pursue? I think so. She's a very talented musician. And... What does she play? Oh, God, everything. But piano and, like, voice at her sort of thing. Oh, really? And she... But she was very big into musical theatre, so I think she wanted to do, to do that for a long time. But obviously that's a very challenging profession. Uh, challenging, but also... I think... I, I have friends who have, have had careers in musicals and it's they're athletes. Oh my goodness! 100%. Absolute athletes, but also they've a very sm- small window. Yeah, of how long you can yet yeah, of so how long you can go. Yeah, because you know you go over a, as a man, you go over a certain age in your thirties, you're not a leading man anymore, and then you've got yeah. to wait yeah. to get those big sort of character parts, and also. Uh, leading lady, I bet they. I mean, I, I, I don't know for certain, so I'm pulling it out of the air. But you know, after a certain age in your twenties, it's yeah. gone. You know, Jenna Russell, who I adore, is a very good friend of mine. Was on this podcast. Is one of those actors who still carries on um, 
in musicals and plays, but she's grown up mm. doing it. Yeah. Um, and still gets the parts. Yeah. You know, she's current. I bumped into her the other week. She's at Chester. I, I can't even speak. <laughs> at Chichester. It's quite hard to say. Um, but that would be very, very difficult to sustain yeah. some sort of career in, I would think. I mean, it's hard enough being an actor, do you know what I mean? It's horrible, Craig. Do you think it's horrible? <laughs> I... Do I what think it's do, horrible? No, do I... Uh, I have... Yeah, because we say that and we, we, we sort of flirt around with it's horrible, it's tough, it's super hard, it's competitive, it c- can be nasty, it's... Certainly unfair. Yeah. And unfairness um, is a human concept, I guess. Look, mean? that's the thing, you know, it's unjust. Yeah. I think I... Amongst the actors that I'm around a lot, I think lots of people have felt post-Covid a shift because everything is now self-tapes. Um, I mean, it was getting that way it was getting that prior way before, to it. But I feel quite isolated now I feel like it's very much like you're on your own kind of giving it your one shot to see whether you know you can get a job off of a self-tape and you know I bumped into a cast of the day and we were talking and they told I asked them I said how long of a self-tape do you watch how much of it because I spend four or five hours on them and Rosie, they said 20 seconds yeah oh dear I will say that is too Long. I know. I'm so just <laughs> forgive uh, um, our audience listening that are nothing to do with actors. We might be talking about some <laughs> actory shit for a bit. Um, yeah, too long. Too long. But then when you get sent twelve pages, it's like, and when people go, oh, "Well, if you want the part, you have to do it." So no. you feel like you have to. Too long. Yeah. Too long. Too many pages. Mm-hmm. We had the whole rule that it was only going to be six pages, didn't we? But yeah, that seems to that seems that was a good few months that they that seems to have disappeared <laughs> quite quickly. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think, it, and it's you know, I think what I miss is when you're in the room. You know, I think all good actors are so excellent at being directed, and so I might come into the room and give you something, mm. and it might not be right, and then you'll give me direction, and I can turn it on its head, right, and do something completely different. But you don't get that chance in a self tape. It is my first go. And also, the thing is that I have a problem with with self-tapes is they're not meeting you. Yeah, it's so true. And I've mentored a few, you know, uh, younger actors over the years. And I said, look, half the thing is... Well, probably more than half the thing. It's like... Directors and producers want to meet you. Mm. All right, yeah, they want to know that you can completely ace this part and bring, you bring something to it, but also uh, embrace the direction, okay? That's one thing. But also, they need to know that you're not a dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) Because because the downtime when you're not filming outweighs the filming time. And if you're a decent person and you're good to be around and you're fun to be around and you embrace the environment, that's who I want to work with. And that's what will hold you in really good stead. Yes. So that's very, very difficult (laughs) 
took to put <laughs> over in a self tape. When I do my eye dents, I'm like, I'm, you know, you've got like, hi, I'm Rosie Day, I'm five foot two, and I'm rep by the artist partnership. I'm like, how much of your personality can you bring to it? Because what? It's the only I mean, chance. the thing is, fucking don't. No, there's nothing you can do. No, I don't. It's very difficult. So look, let's go back a minute. So let's go back to summer folk <laughs> at the national. Yes, all those memories I have. Still of it. at school. Only just started school. Right, only just started school. Not, en- not enjoying school. No. So... I didn't get it. I was like, why do I have to... Well, no, actually, reception I did like. I have nice memories of reception, but that's probably because you got to colour and, yeah. you know, you didn't do anything in no, reception. No, 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 of course. You? Well, you just embrace the environment and yeah. try and engage yeah. with other children. You're so little, like, yeah. Yeah, I think I really liked not. it. Um, but then, no, it was like, no. Do you know what? I... In, I had a really nice primary school and then I got moved in year two and then that's when I didn't like it. Um, and I was still at the National. I did three plays quite in consecutive, like... Oh, that's really? not a word, is it? Consecutive. No, but sort of back to back. Yeah. yeah. Um, for a little bit, I had my name up on the side of the Olivier. It was like on there. I think I was part of their company. I think it was when the National had companies and I was like part of their, like whatever years it was company. Um, and so, yeah, I was... I was I remember Summer Folks. I remember seeing it. So I'm sure I saw other plays with you in at that time. Baby, Tiny Human. I was in the 90s. Yeah, yeah I mean, it would have I been. I totally remember yeah. when it um, was, yeah. Um, um, and, yeah, I don't... The only bad memory I have of the National is when I got choked in a dressing room by another child actor that was older than me. Ah, look, if it happened at the backstage at the National, it happened at school. <laughs> It was bound to happen at some point. But I really, I know that on my, I think it was my eighth birthday, I got a tweenies cake and everybody sang to me and it was really fun. And did you feel just part of the company and really? I think I don't, you probably did, yeah. Of course you did, that's so lovely. And you were just like part of the gang. So with these foundations Mm. in mind. Yeah. Did you take control and go, this is what I want to do. I want to be an actor. I, when I was about, I said this quite a lot, and I hope she doesn't mind me because I say it all the time. I'm sure I, she won't. I work with, I did a TV show when I was 13 with Saran Jones. I played her daughter. Okay. And. What was that show? It was a medical drama called Harley Street. Um, Harley Street. We about, remember Harley Street. It was about Street. a private medical, like, practice. Well, well, of course it was. It was on a Harley, Harley Street. Street. Um, and working with her and seeing what she did. Terrifying, I think she was only a year older than I am now. Um, but seeing her act, I, it was the first time that I was like, I want to be you. I want to do what you do. I was, I, I was so in awe of her. Completely inspired. Yeah, still am to this, you know, to Well, this you know, we, we want to work with the best yeah. people. And she is. And we want to be inspired by the best yeah. people. And that's how we keep on trucking. Yeah. So, yeah. And that was my first memory of being like, I want to. Oh, no, I, I did do a kid's show called Berners Watch about a boy that could stop time. And apparently, I don't remember this, but that was when I had first maybe had said, oh, no, oh, no, no, the producer had said to my mum, if she wants to do this as a career, yeah. I think she can. R- that was the first time it had been, like, recognised. And what did your parents feel about this when they were told? Were they supportive or did yeah. they think, actually, you know what, Rosie, I think you need to crack on and get a plan B? No, never. They never said that to me. Didn't they? Sometimes I wish they had, if I'm very honest. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Why? Because I think growing, I think child actors, it developmentally does something to you where you get stunted 
I think, especially when you are playing children and teenagers for a very, very long time. So if you look very young, it means that you're not having normal childhood teenage experiences when you should be having them. You're not getting drunk in the park with your mates. You're not going to parties. You're not, you're missing out on birthday parties. You're sort of missing out on the social interaction because you have to be at work. Mm -hmm. And you think you're really mature because you're told you're really mature all the time because you're at work. Yeah. But that's just not the case. Um, and so I think you, you can fall behind socially and emotionally behind your peers because you're not with, you're not with a group, you know, a group of people that are your own age, you're with adults and you think you're an adult, but you're not an adult. And I always say like in no other life do we have child anything. So you haven't got a child insurance salesman, you don't have a child doctor, but we have child actors and they're so celebrated. And I do think that's why very famous ones in America, as we've seen, have a period of time where they end up broken broken yeah and I, if i'm being very honest i've what? not met a child actor that's not a bit broken in that's that's in this country and that's in, i include myself in that statement because i think mm. you don't grow up normally when do you think you were broken or or unsupported i or or or, or, or can you not pinpoint it i think i found going away from home really hard because I had to go obviously we we didn't live in London most things were filmed actually quite a lot of stuff I did was filmed up in like Leeds or Nottingham or you know it was very far away yeah and I think when you're little like I just remember like Sunday nights before you know when you have to go on a Sunday night to film on a Monday I'd feel so sick and so sad because I'd be leaving my mum like I loved my mum so much and that separate I had like that separation anxiety I think was really bad and then you're at school and I've never met a child actor that hasn't had a bad time at school because it doesn't go well you know if you're the kid that's on telly you're not popular you're you're you know it's the other way around so I think it's it it, it can affect you I think in 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 lots of ways and actually I was at dinner the other night um with some friends who I hadn't seen for a long time and some friends of friends and they were asking me lots of questions about teenage Armageddon and acting and stuff and I suddenly heard myself say it I suddenly went you know my whole life the only thing anyone's wanted to talk to me about is acting what was I doing next what jobs was I working on like and I and and and, and I suddenly said that and I realized like the truth in that I think because I wasn't a famous child actor but I worked consistently yeah, yeah consistently um I never had more than 50% attendance in any school year so it was, which I think might be illegal, but that's, we'll just brush over that. Isn't it nice that you're on this podcast and we don't talk about jobs? It's great. It's so great. <laughs> I love this podcast. But thank you. I mean, I, 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 look, I'll take it where I can go, to be honest. <laughs> Did you ever say to your mum, like on a Sunday night, I don't want to go? I remember being in year seven and not being able to go to my new friend's because I suddenly had friends in year seven. Like, yeah. I had record, like, I remember being like, My son's just started year seven. Like, oh my God, it's such a huge thing. It's a massive right? thing, massive, my God, right? fucking hell. So you meet all these new people that you weren't with at junior yeah. school, and you can sort of start again. Yeah. And I had friends, and I loved my school. Um, and I remember going to my mum, this birthday party was happening, and I had like a recall for something. And I said to my mum, I don't want to go, I don't want to do it anymore. And I think she said maybe something along the lines of, I'm really sorry, Mum, don't be stupid, you're going. Because she thought, obviously, that I didn't really mean it. Um, and, yeah, I think... I never really expressed any um, 
I tried very much to be a very good, like, child where I could, I think. I was very aware of other people's emotions and very yeah. hypervigilant. So I never really expressed um, not wanting to go. And because I did love filming, once I got there, it was like, yeah. great. And um, it's so much fun. And it's so I'm much sure, fun. I mean, especially. You are looked after so I well. Know, I see, after. I see how children. Yeah. get treated and looked after and nine times out of ten the chaperones are like super cool yeah. really nice and also you know i remember taking my son who's now 11 to set for the first time and i've subsequently taken him over the years and he can't get over the fact that we get food for free. That's the cooked, best part. That's cooked for us. Somebody, Breakfast. Some, somebody arrives downstairs in a car. Mm. They take us in a car yeah. to work. They drop us off. They say, do you want a cup of tea? Mm. Would you like a snack? Yeah. Would you You're like essentially a, a giant child. I mean, <laughs> I know. But the thing is, yes, we are treated like giant Very children. Very well looked after children. Yeah. You know. You're picked up for a reason because yeah. they don't trust you to get there yeah. on your own. Uh, they worry about your costume. Yeah. They don't want things built on it because <laughs> so you know that we're absolute babies. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, it was, it's, it's exactly the same, really, isn't yeah. it? Tell me about how it affected your school life being on telly. People, I think kids find it quite hard to understand maybe well certainly i would think when they find it hard to understand especially. but also a hard to express any emotion and yeah. was it i'm sorry was it private school did i you did say? both you so did I've both so i did right. both and but private school especially they were especially nasty um were you bullied yeah Oh, yeah, when especially, actually, weirdly, when I was on Bernard's Watch, because I played a very mean character, so I was, like, the lead. That was Bernard's arch-nemesis, essentially. Right. Um, which, obviously, you're the mean girl. So when they don't... Kids at that age, obviously, year five and six, don't necessarily understand that you're acting and that that's not you. They just think you're being mean to obviously, Bernard. Obviously, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I found it very difficult, I think, Friendship-wise, and it took me a really long time. It took me till about year ten to find like a group. Of wow, friends. that's a long time, and, Rosie. Yeah. Um, but I didn't mind it because I always had knew that I had another outlet. But then at the same time, and I say this now, I talk about this all the time that that I cannot remember a time in my life where I haven't been like, "What's the next job? What What am I doing next? What's the next project?" And that's weird. That that freaks me out. Because no five or six-year-old or seven-year-old or eight-year-old or nine-year-old or ten-year-old should be concerned about what their next job is. No. I mean, a therapist would probably have a field day with that, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't they? I mean, she does. Mine does. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure, yeah. I mean, I'm already sort of yeah. clicking over in my, my own brain thinking about it. I'm not a therapist, but yeah. yeah. No, 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 you shouldn't. That, no, not... that shouldn't be on the agenda and at you put all. all your value on it. You're my, you know, I, I still struggle with the idea that I'm valuable if I was to walk away from acting, that I would have any value in the world because my whole life it's just been that, I guess. Do you ever think about walking away? Don't we all? <laughs> yes. I don't know. Yeah, I, if I'm being honest, I think about walking away. I love acting. Like, I love theatre. I love actors I love hanging out with actors I love filming I really do but sometimes it right you know it can feel like the industry doesn't want you mm. and that's what I've really struggled yeah. with 
Yeah. I mean, I think we flirt mm. with the idea yeah. of walking away. Mm. And then we crash <laughs> and we down and we go... But oh, could you? Yeah. Um, I can't imagine my li- life without it, if that makes sense. It does make complete sense. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever given it serious weight, yeah. if I'm honest. But I'm 46 years old. <laughs> I, I'm an old man. I've been doing it a long yeah. time. Um, and my priorities yeah. have, have changed. But then again, this is not a podcast about me. As I've said for the last five years, it's about <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm sick of repeating myself, no. Rosie. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you do, but... There's so much more there for you now. But I think, without putting words into your mouth, you're just wanting to move into a different bracket now because you've been cast as young (laughs) teenagers for so long. Someone please guard me in my 20s. No, but the thing is, that will come. I I think, and you must know this yourself... You will look back in years to come and go, fucking hell, what an absolute gift. That's, people do tell me that a lot, I think. Of, of yeah, course that, they that do. Like, but oh, you, as, as yeah. I repeat myself, you, know, you must yeah. know this and it will happen and you'll go, fucking hell, I'm 36 mm. and I'm playing like <laughs> 20 odd year olds. Yeah, but I have a fear that I'm just going to wake up one day and suddenly look really old and will have just missed all the, do you know what I mean, all the like normal ageing. We've we'll just gone from looking 17 to 40 overnight. Oh, shit, well, if that happens, you're fucked. I'm really... (laughs) Rosie Day, thank you so much. What an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. The Two Shot Podcast was presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. The remix of our theme tune is by Stolen Valor. Cheers. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com